What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Sweat and Grime. I'm your host, Brian. And Rick. Yes, we are back for yet another one with you guys. And as we sit here and and look at our topics that we eventually want to cover, uh, one of the things that has come up for both of us to talk about that we we enjoy is shopping on Amazon. Um, Because I initially had this topic. Let me kind of give you a background of of how this even came to be on our topic list. So when I was working full-time uh, for Dan's Excavatings, uh, Dan's Excavatings, give me a break, Brian. Come on now. Woman's Excavating. <laughs> so when I was working at Dan's, uh, one of the things that used to always make me laugh, because I, I do want to be very honest, I have a great relationship with my wife, and and it's not one of those contentious relationships where you know the second she buys anything, I have something to bitch about, or, or likewise, when I buy something, she bitches, but... Uh, it did always make me laugh because I'm out there just fucking working my ass off, uh, plugging away at all these hours. And then I come home and there's like four fucking Amazon boxes sitting on the on the porch. And especially when it got around the holidays, like when she started. So my wife is one of those planners, too. So she'd start shopping for Christmas like around now, like Halloween time. And so it's towards the end of the season. I'm still, you know, it's the big push at the end of the season. You're working a shitload of hours and you come home and there's just all these fucking Amazon boxes. And I'm going, what in the fuck? <laughs> like money's going out as fast as I'm bringing it in. What is happening here? So that's how the, the topic started. But then my wife, when I told her that that was one of our topics, she starts laughing and she totally called me out on it. She's like, you're worse than I am when it comes to Amazon. And Dude, that is one, all day. Yeah, it's 100 percent true. Like I shop on Amazon all the fucking time. There's like probably, I don't know, three days out of the week. We got Amazon boxes rolling in and I'm responsible for like 90 percent of them. So, Dude, I'm an I'm a addict now. Like before I didn't even realize um, how to use Amazon. And then once I got the hang of it, cause my wife's always blowing up boxes everywhere. And I'm like, why, why are you Amazon and shit constantly? Like, I feel like I should just make the dude a parking lot, right. <laughs> you know, a spot for him to park, to unload, to make it easier. And then next thing, you know, I figure out this whole Amazon gig and what I could buy. And then next thing, you know, I'm adding my credit card on, oh, but I don't change man. her name yet. And up she's like, prime. Oh my God. It's dangerous. Yeah, she's like, I'm getting all these gifts. I'm like, oh, well, why don't you open it up? And it'd be like a socket or something. Yeah. Like, yeah, that was awesome. I get some oil, some oil filters. Yeah, like those, and you don't those even chains have to go we were like, using. I'll, yeah, like I'll, <laughs> I'll pay a couple of dollars extra just because of the time saving. Oh, fuck yeah. Just to get it to the house. Like, dude, I Amazon my life and business anymore, except for clothing, really. But like anything I need, like... If you go to AutoZone or you go somewhere and it's like, ah, they might have it or might not with the labor shortage anymore, you go to Amazon and there's no material shortage of nothing. And you're like, yes, it's there tomorrow if you got Prime. And I'm like, hey, how do we upgrade to Prime? We need this shit, honey. Bed, bath, and beyond. I don't know. I don't know if we'll have enough time. <laughs> That's right. Amazon every day. I'm just like, yeah, I, like how can I? There's I don't no have more. enough time to buy all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's no more going shopping after Thanksgiving on Black Friday, oh, dude. I no. Black Friday, I Black Friday like five days a week. Yeah, absolutely. And <clears> like <throat> you said, with with Prime, like that's, I I, I despise. Jeff Bezos because of who he is as an individual, but God damn it. He, he just a genius genius with the fucking prime because we all know like on a subconscious level, we all know we're paying extra 
to get that two day shipping. It's how? free, quote unquote. How are you? Well, because really you're paying, paying a, you're paying a fucking mm. annual fee. Did you not know you're paying an annual fee to be in the members <clears throat> yeah, club of, for Prime? Of a few hundred bucks, right? Well, yeah. But when you probably add up all of the shipping, you know, I'm I could be totally wrong, but I bet if you added up the majority of your shipping, you're probably right around. Not not to mention they're probably padding the numbers on Amazon side for the products you're buying too to make it back as well. Like there's know, no way they're man. gonna lose money on it. I don't know. I don't know how they're doing it because I've actually found stuff cheaper on Amazon than going to the store. Well, so that's where you get into, I believe, this is pure speculation because I don't know shit, but um, my speculation is it's because you've got, you're getting direct from the supplier. So you're not going through uh, Kohl's or uh, Tractor Supply or whatever the vendor is that's going to put their little padding up. Instead, you're getting it for whatever the warehouse price would be if you were to just buy direct from the manufacturer. And then Amazon puts their little pad on it. And then you get the, you know, you're paying for the the prime membership so that you get the two day shipping. So ultimately it is cheaper than the store, but at the same time, it's also like Amazon's, Amazon's not giving you free two day shipping. Like you're paying know, for that somewhere. With the way the gas and everything's going anymore. I don't know. <laughs> Got you know? it. <laughs> yeah. But that's it. Like with the way the gas is going anymore and stuff, like. You know, your time, the waiting in line, the convenience of everything. Yeah. Dude, I think you're saving. I, I got to say you're saving money. We're going to have to get Jeff on the phone. Call him up. That's right. Mr. Bezos, if you'd like yep. to be on the Sweat and Grind podcast, we would appreciate it when you're not riding your giant space dick. Uh, right. You that know, would if be you fantastic. got some time to talk on to these ball, balls on you kind of people. Yes. We're ready. We're ready to talk to Absolutely. you, Absolutely. By Anytime. the way, did you see his rocket? <clears throat> Why are you trying to... This is supposed to be like PG-13, buddy. Dude, I'm telling you right now, he is... Like, the internet is 100% correct. We've all collectively come to the same conclusion and then gotten on the internet and just laughed about it together. Uh, Jeff Bezos is Dr. Evil from... <laughs> How about new? You from Austin Powers. Bastard. If you're not familiar, go look up Dr. Evil from Austin Powers and go look up Jeff Bezos and then <laughs> take it a step further. Go look up Dr. Evil's rocket that he fired off and go look at Jeff Bezos's rocket and you will 100% agree that Jeff Bezos is Dr. Evil because he he rode a giant dick into space. Like that's not even like me a, exaggerating. He looks like a fucking talking penis. He he yeah, he yeah. he looks like it, but then go look at his like legit. Look it up look it up on your end, Rick. Yeah, I, I see it right now. Yes, like he should be like he should be on like SpongeBob SquarePants or like the Adams Family, the cartoon movie dude. He's the goofiest looking guy and he's a total tool. Kinda like looks any like interview faster. you see, he's a total douche. But well, he is Doctor Evil, like one hundred percent. I tell you what, I take the douche to be worth trillions of dollars. I don't That's have to have that said. many friends. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so that was out kind of the, the blue, warm, though, man. What's that? That was that was just out of the blue, though. Like, you know, we were driving around Indiana a few years ago. I think right when Amazon was kind of taking off and. We're driving around, dude. And all of a sudden, you see all these vehicles everywhere with Amazon stickers, just like brand new yep. trucks. Like they knew what was coming. Yep. It was going to take off. And my wife and I are like, what is going on with Amazon with all those trucks? Next thing you know, you just see like the blue army everywhere. Yeah. It's yeah. It's incredible dude. how quick they they popped up with that, that fleet. I think a big part of it was 
uh, just the sheer quantity that people were ordering. The UPS and the Postal Service and all those services couldn't keep up. And Amazon realized, like, we have to have our own delivery fleet. Like, there's no getting around it. And it is insanity at how quick those trucks, those vans are everywhere now. Dude, could you imagine owning, like, a collision shop? Oh, it'd be beautiful. I'd be parked right next to one of their hubs. You'd be so fucking busy. Because those dudes can't fucking drive. And there's no backup cameras on half that shit. Like, you... You count the Amazon trucks, dude, and see like how many headlights or bumpers or the doors are just like dented. Yeah. Like, hey, you want to make twenty two ninety nine an hour? How about you drive this truck? Oh, it, I don't even know that they get paid that much. Have you heard all the horror stories of guys having to piss in a jar and stuff because they literally <laughs> don't have time to stop? Like they'll get well, fired if they aren't on time and they give them so, so little time to make those deliveries. They're literally pissing into bottles. I would drill a hole through the floor and drop a funnel through it with a hose dude that I'd, I'd, I'd stand up and piss right in the back of the van put me a little hand sanitizer towel rack and stuff there uh, yeah like that's Fuck what big rig drivers do like they, they'll right. legit have a little little flap <clears throat> that they lift up and they'll take a shit right over the drive track the drive right. shaft kids are, kids are out there in the yard and the water's running down your fucking tire. <laughs> it's like, hey oh hey gotta do what i gotta do here. <laughs> <laughs> but you know they are on the go though man them and the FedEx and the UPS drivers, dude, like those UPS drivers, man, when they come to the house here and there, they are just on the throttle the whole time. Like on the throttle, hit the brakes, er, slam that bitch in reverse, doors open, dude runs to your house because he's only got like eight seconds to get back into the truck to get to the next route, you know? So, sp- And then the damn freaking, you know who are the worst? What's that? It's, it's got to be the freaking male, male ladies that drive the fucking trucks. I was just about like, to say, we had a fucking mail. Some of the bitches, dude. Oh, my God. You'd be driving God. down the road. Yes. And like, yeah, they ain't going to move. Next thing you know, just rah, they pull out right in front of you, almost fucking slam on the brakes or got to dodge around to get them. And like, bang on tear. What in reverse, tear? You know, dodge like, mail lady. Like, <laughs> like, you look at the side of the road and they give two fucks about it in the mail. Like, I don't know how they stay as organized as they are with the mail, putting it in your mailbox. You look at like the side of the road and the gauntlet and the potholes. Like they don't drive on the road; they drive on the shoulder. Like they make their own fucking lane from oh, mailbox yeah. to mailbox. So and it's like the gauntlet, dude. We had a mail lady for I don't know. We had her for like six months, eight months. That like legit thought her gas pedal was an on-off switch. And my like Melissa used to laugh at me all the time because I'm at the core. I'm an old man because I was like, what the fuck? Like there's these burnout marks at every fucking mailbox and our on our we live on a dirt road and so every fucking mailbox has this giant and i'm not talking like a little bit like she just got on it a little heavy it's no. like a 15 or 20 foot long burnout mark because those little mail trucks don't it's not like they have a limited slip differential in them or anything like if you hammer down on the gas like you got one of them wheels just flying and the other one's just sitting there and this woman, every fucking mailbox, we, we, our road, we can drive down like six, six miles. It's, it's a pretty long road. The entire length of the road, every mailbox for eight months had these like 15 to 20 foot long burnout marks coming off of it where she just hammered that gas pedal to the floor and peel out until it finally was able to catch up with the, with the rest of the truck. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah. what in the fuck? Calm it down. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you the way that you are? <laughs> just call the fuck you down. You just look at like wintertime, dude. 
They just sit there and burn rubber, throw freaking rocks and stones everywhere until like the truck just hooks up and takes exactly. off. Exactly. It's mailbox. just we're like, gonna ride it out, baby. We're gonna ride it out until she finally catches it. If it takes yeah, us like, fifty people yards, can't even drive. goddamn, it's gonna take fifty yards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. People can't even drive, dude, on a on a freaking road here in Michigan when there's like just an inch of snow just came down fresh and there's no way that someone's going to drive through like a snowbank, and then you got the mail lady dude just like busting through the drifts like yeah non-stop doing donuts the and whatever it takes yeah dude like <laughs> whoa check that out did that come through what's that I hit a sound effect and this thing just took off. Oh no, it's not coming through. Unfortunately, Thank your sound effect. So we're so just so you guys know, we've got <laughs> Thank Rick God, set up. Dude, I about blew my ears apart. Yeah, so we've got Rick <laughs> set up. Uh, you know, as we've talked about on the podcast before, Rick, I, I'm proud of him. He's come a long way, but still, we are we have come out of the cave. We have come out of the shell. When it comes to technology, he's no longer living in a cave. Uh, I would say we're now in like a a nice lean to or or a yeah. teepee of technology. Still got to put the sides and the roof on. But it, we yeah, got, we're like we're getting know, there. We're it's, not. It's framed in. Yeah, we're like we're in the Bronze Age with Rick now. Yeah. And so we do have him set up with a podcasting setup at his house. So we are not physically in the same room. But as a result, uh, Rick's over there trying to fire off sound effects. But because of the way we've got it routed <laughs> into his recorder, uh, none of us will hear him. Brian's so, keeping it PG-13 over here. So basically what's going to happen is Rick's going to have a, a fantastic time over there hitting all of his sound effects. And he's going <laughs> to have a great laugh at it. But none of us yeah. will actually know what's happening. It's going to be awesome. I'm gonna oh have God, I'm gonna have shit rolling. <laughs> <laughs> so but, you know this podcast stuff, we're getting the hang of it. We're getting there, flowing. Yeah, you know it's just we're getting to the information a little faster. We're set up a little better, and it's a lot more convenient for our schedules. Really, yeah, yeah. That's the and, biggest thing is when Rick's out, you know, trying to do bids and everything. He doesn't have me constantly bitching like, "Hey, when are you coming over to record a podcast?" Like, what the fuck, right. Rick? Right. Oh my God, Diesel. And you got messed up. <laughs> well let's get hey, into so the, our topic today well i was about to say let's get let's into get the into meat of, of kind of what we were going to talk about and it's um when you're getting into the industry uh and again as i always preface rick and i are dirt guys this kind of applies to most of the trades uh I, actually i shouldn't say that with this one i i don't really have the know-how uh or or the knowledge to really say if this is applicable but for the dirt uh, is it better to start your career in or out of the union? And I'm going to let you have first go at this one, Rick. What's what's your opinion when it comes to, you know, starting if with the apprenticeship, getting into the union versus uh, hiring in at a small non-union company and kind of earning your way up through the ranks that way? Well, I mean, if you put the money aside and actually just talk about getting into the trades, um, you're going to get a lot more hands-on a lot faster doing the non-union route, gaining experience. I mean, you know, you, you start you start learning instantly versus like a union job, you're kind of obligated to just do a certain certain job for the day for your title, your description. You get into the non-union job, like you could be uh, a gopher, the truck driver, the guy that is just running around changing parts, dropping oil, possibly getting on a machine like they throw so much at you so fast that you're almost just kind of there collecting an hourly wage and it's kind of like the gauntlet they throw so much stuff at you versus 
the union, you know, it's kind of a little more structured. This is what you're going to be doing uh, eight hours a day, probably for a long time until you advance your career and get a little more training under your belt where you could start promoting yourself up in the unions. I think going the non-union route back in the day was phenomenal. Um, if you're trying to get into talking about a little bit of the financing and some of that stuff on of taking care of yourself, I want to say the union way would be going a lot better. I mean, it's a few hundred dollars more probably a day. Um, you know, when you're sitting there trying to make a living, like you could get in, you could start earning a wage. They're dying for help these days in your benefit package, you know. You get a non-union job and they're starting you out 20 bucks an hour and you could get into a union job right away starting 25, 26 and they'll train you. Yeah. Right. And then you got the day you start in a union, you automatically start with like the pension programs, the retirement. So you already start counting, you know, let's think about counting backwards. You already start counting towards your retirement the day you start. And the days and the years that start clicking off versus like a non-union, you might have like a 401k. There's no pension, you know, unless you're like in a government sector kind of thing. But you, you know, I mean, you're getting a lot more vast knowledge and you're getting a lot more seat time and hands on and any aspect of it because you're going to get so much variety and you could almost go through like a non-union um, job and get to the foreman job position and a lot more experience faster. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I th- think all of the points that you're making are, is exactly where I was going to go. So, so first of all, getting into uh, the trade in a non-union scenario, uh, one of the biggest advantages, and, you know, I think of it, I think Rick also, I'm not even going to say I think, I know Rick agrees with me here, and most of your your tradesmen that are already in the trade will agree with me that, uh, going the non-union route, one of the biggest advantages you will have from the get-go is your time on the shovel. Um, that is the most critical time of of your career. You pick up the most skills, you get the most experience because you're you're generally a jack of all trades. So you're you're running great over here, and then you're on the end of a shovel learning how to. And, and believe it or not, learning how to manipulate dirt with a shovel is directly applicable to when you start moving up into machines like the same concepts apply on how you need to move that material whether you're dealing with dry uh dry clay or sand or whether you're dealing with wet mud learning how to manipulate the earth directly applies to the seat of whatever machine you're going to end up in and so correct You'll spend time running grade, which is fantastic because you're going to learn how to run a grade rod. You're going to learn about elevations. You're going to learn how to read prints. You're going to learn how to, uh, you know, get an eye for what level is, which is another critical skill that directly applies to the seat down the road. There's just so many things that you're going to be exposed to when you are on the end of a shovel that, unfortunately, one of the biggest drawbacks to starting in the union is you don't spend that time on the shovel. Instead, you're spending time in a classroom or you're spending time in the seats of the machine, which, yes, you can look at that as, hey, I I just skipped all of the hard work. But, you know, as with everything else in life, the reward comes from the hard work. You know, bypassing that hard work is not an advantage for you. No, it's an advantage if you're lazy. And, you know, I'm sorry to be harsh, but honestly, if you're lazy, yeah, you could see that as a benefit. But 
like all of your fundamental education in this industry comes from that shovel time. And that's one of the biggest things you don't get when you go into the union right away. So that's why I have always leaned towards guys starting in non-union. Even if you're in a union state, I still, if you go on the YouTube channel and go through the comments, you will see me repeatedly over and over and over again uh, encourage guys to go to a small non-union company to begin their career. And it's just because of those skills. Another huge advantage that Rick just touched on. Sorry, my allergies still go nuts this time of year. But <clears throat> That's why is, I'm not over there no more. What's that? That's, That's right. Yeah, no Rick. More. So Rick brings his sickness, sickness over with here. The sickness. Yeah, he, no. he brings his sickness over here, and then he refuses to come over because we're sick. Bagel See, Brian? Like, Brian <laughs> Brian's got the vaccine, and the vids totally took over his household. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't have the vaccine right now. You, and it's not taking over. You know my what? You bring so one filthy, unvaccinated, no you know, piece of shit in your house, and then he just yeah. spreads it all yeah. over, and then he fucking leaves, and then he has the audacity to tell you well, he doesn't want to come to your house. Hey, look, gotcha, I got bitch. a letter. I got a letter from the Biden administration, and they wanted to see how the vaccine actually is really working. Yeah. So you were part of that experiment, right? That's so, right. I'm sorry, but they gave me like three hundred bucks. You know what? So. It was 300 bucks, and it was totally worth all the sharts I had to put up with for a week. So it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. You know, some <laughs> of the, I want to kind of touch on some of the downsides and the upsides of union versus non-union. Kind of just like even talking about just getting into the labor. Like we could break this up with the labor side, the operating side. Yep. Unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get too abroad on this topic because we don't know enough about like the boil makers and yeah, electricians yeah. and stuff like that. Like we've seen them on the job. Sure. We know about them, but we can't quite speak for every single one of them. Um, Where are you going with this, Rick? Oh, sorry. Damn, <laughs> dog was coughing, man. <laughs> do do you need me to take over thing. for a second? Because I, I still got more <laughs> shit to talk about, but you... It had to go down the COVID wormhole. Hey, you know, that you know, one is, sniffle, one sniffle, and you take it back over. You know, you got too close. Well, you so in my air. Well, so what I was going to say is uh, one of the other big benefits that Rick touched on on, on going non union is typically uh, you don't have any you don't have any roadblocks to you moving up the ladder five times quicker than you would in the union. So you know. One of the big benefits to a small company in particular is when you hire in as a grunt laborer that doesn't know anything, chances are they're going to need you to drive a truck, which means chances are they're going to help you get your CDL. And then from there, now that you're hauling a truck around, well, you're going to have to haul some equipment around, which means you're going to have to get in the equipment to load it and unload it, which means now you're getting seat time on equipment. Well, turns out Frank can't come in tomorrow because he's out sick or, you know, for whatever reason, Frank can't come in. So why don't you hop in the seat of the dozer and see if you can't plug away at something or hop in the seat of the excavator and see if you can't figure it out? Like all of a sudden within and this is, by the way, this is exactly how I got into the industry. I went to a small residential company and just from necessity within like four months, six months, I was like, I don't know, probably 50 to 60 percent of my time was in the seat of a machine. You go the union route that that doesn't work that way. You don't you but don't you get in a hole or a up. loader or a dozer right away. Like you're on a roller or an off road truck for the first year and a half of your career. Yeah, and but so you showed up every day. That's the consistent thing. Yeah, and you know some of the downsides and upsides of starting out non union. Like if you're union, 
you know, you kind of have representation from the union, which isn't free. Yes. Right. You have to pay your dues. Right. You're non-union. You don't pay your dues. Your dues is showing up the next day and doing a good job this day. And if you don't, you could get fired. Sure. Right. The union side, if like you don't show up the next day for some reason, like you kind of got this little network that half ass will fight for you. Yeah. Right. You at least got to stand against the employer and they got to kind of come to like good grounds and why they're going to fire somebody. Right. Right. So the union way, like you just said, man, you you get touched through the gauntlet constantly, but you don't get pitted against your employer. Like if you get mad for some reason, you know, you have the uh, decision to make if you want to stick around, if you don't want to stick around because you asked for a pay raise or they gave someone else a pay raise. You know, the bright side of being like in the labor union, you all get the same pay raise. The guy next to you gets the same amount as you do, whether you've been there 20 years or you've been there two days. And and you that's kind of the a, same. you can see it as a positive. If you're a new guy to the industry, that's 100% a positive. But as, you yeah. know, as an old timer in the industry that's been doing this for years, like that's a potential downside too, because, you know, let's say you've been with this company for 15 years, you've been an operator for 25 years, like you're a, a top notch finished dozer operator. And here comes some young pup that, you know, has been out of the apprenticeship for six months, uh, doesn't know shit when it comes to running a dozer or an excavator or a loader. He's spent all of his career so far, basically on a roller and a rock truck. Yet yep. when the new contract comes out, he gets that same $2 and 50 cent an hour raise that you do, even though you've got the skills, you've got the time, you know, for the young guy, fucking awesome. This is great. I'm getting, I'm getting this raise and I've only been in it for this short time. But as the old timer, it's like, what the fuck? I've been doing this. I've, you know, I'm one of the top stars in the company. Now I do want to be clear. Uh, it is totally up to your company on how much they pay you. As long as yeah. they don't go under scale, you know, whatever union yeah, scale over is, scale. they can pay over scale. And that's where if you are in the union currently, or if you are thinking about getting in the union, you do need to be aware of that because if you are a king dingling operator at this company that you've been with for 15 years and you're still making just scale, uh, especially in this labor market, go have a fucking conversation with your employer and say, look, here's the deal. I'm worth more than this. And I think we can both agree on that and, yep. and leverage that to get yourself some more money because they can absolutely pay above scale. They just can't pay below scale. Well, and you could talk to your union rep like you got representation you could talk to. And how to how to go about this and how to approach the employer. And they'll also, at times, come in and have a meeting, that whether it's for just you or as a whole, and they'll speak on your behalf. To an extent, and, on a raise conversation, I don't know that they would ever pull out the stops. Generally, what your union... Man, I can't more even talk. negotiating. Yeah, it's, it's more of if you get into a labor dispute with, like, your that's employer... True. Uh, that's where they will step in with union representation and say, Hey, you can't fire, you can't fire this guy. Like he's going right. to be back to work on Monday. Um, but see, you're not in the union. You know, the only thing you got against you is your work ethic and you asking for a raise and it could either say yes or it could say no. And that's, there's the door. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But that's, you know, that's realistically the majority of the, of the labor market as a whole, you know, taking the skilled trades out of it, the vast majority of people 
in the world are working in non-union conditions. And the same things apply, especially in this. And this is where it's super. We're in a very, very unique time in the trades right now to where traditionally uh, we've had an excess of labor and a shortage of work. And so what happens is this is kind of basic economics. This is the way the economy works is you have a, a really high demand for jobs and you have a really, or I'm sorry, you have a, let me think about this. Way. Yeah, yeah, you have a really high, yeah, a high demand for jobs and you have a, a very low supply of workers. Or the other, it is the other way, God damn it. Yep. I'm getting myself all confused. Uh, He's from Texas. I know. Let's try this again. So traditionally, you've got this this big supply of workers, and you have a a small supply of jobs. And so what happens is, um, they don't have to pay you that much because if you don't like it, you can leave. Oh, you can't because there's not another job to go to, which means you're right. going to put up with whatever I pay you. And so that's why traditionally, when there has been an excess of workers, uh you know, in the South and everything where, you, where they don't have union representation, uh, people will pay low wages is because what else are you going to do? Where are you going to go? You're, you know, you can't go that's anywhere. Uh, but now that's why this is such a unique time is because we're so short on labor. Now, all of a the sudden, there's a huge demand for workers. And, and now these non-union companies are having to up their pay close to, if not in line with where union wages are paying, because that's the only way they're going to keep employees. And so now you're kind of getting into a situation to where you can kind of get, you know, not necessarily, I wouldn't go as far to say the best of both worlds, but you get some of the union benefits. You get those higher wages. You get some of the extra, you know, possible partial health care coverage, or maybe they throw a little into a 401k for you. Like these are things you traditionally never saw in the trades. And, no. and now it's becoming relatively commonplace to the point that, uh, when I was working for the equipment dealership, like we were offering healthcare to mechanics and that blew the owner's mind that we even considered that. And it's like, dude, that's what you got to do to compete. It doesn't matter if you're union here or non-union. Uh, if you don't offer your mechanics healthcare, they're going down the road. Yeah. And so the next guy is. Yeah. And so that's, that's a really interesting dynamic that's happening in the trades right now. And that is kind of where you can go the non-union route, get some of the union benefits, not all of them. Obviously you don't have access to the training fund and the training center. You don't have access to representation from the union. You, you don't have access to the pension fund, uh, which we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, you don't have access to their healthcare package, which generally speaking is a pretty good healthcare package. So you do get some of the benefits going non-union in the current work environment, but still there are a lot of really good benefits of going into the union. So I think there's great benefits, man. Starting out. Yeah. If you're young. 100%. Jeez, dude. 25. What is it? 25 years for the operator union. Uh, it might've changed, but I think it was 25 it years. Is. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty know? reasonable. It's 25 and out. And I think you had to be like 55. That sounds right. At the time. So, you know, it's funny. It's like I tried to get into the labor union back in the day, and I had mm, probably eight, nine years under my belt in a non-union, and all the old-timers were just sitting there mopping up and working, and I couldn't. Dude, I couldn't apply. Like, I tried to apply at Dan's, Toby's, CA Hall. Like, I went to some of these big outfits, had the skill qualification, but they looked the other way because they had guys that been there for 
18, 20 years sitting there. Yeah. You know, so I stayed in a non-union route forever, not building up a retirement, not building any kind of pension or anything that counts. But now today, you know, with the experience and everything, you could go now and you'll make it to the top of the line. They're dying to have someone with knowledge yeah. walk through the door. Yeah. So starting out though, like if I was going to pick like all things aside, not knowing a whole lot, I'd walk right into the union job and start my retirement. You know, I'd start the payroll. I'd start the pension, everything. I would, I would take it, mop it up. Cause typically a lot more of those union jobs are kind of on bigger jobs too. Yeah. That is another right? big, big benefit to the union is, is they do typically get the state prevailing wage jobs and, um, like David's bacon wage here in Michigan is like astronomical. I want to say my buddy the other day was getting like 62 bucks an hour. As what does he do? David, David Bacon. What's, wage. He, what's he do though? Uh, they were doing some union job operating. I wanted to say he was, oh, they were developing a subdivision or some kind of commercial building. I can't think of what it was on top of it, but the state had their hands on it. Gotcha. So that's and, over scale for sure. That's yeah, over yeah. scale. That's way over scale because um, they're a non-union company and they got the job. So they were getting David Bacon wage. Yeah. And so his hourly rate was like $62 an hour because of the way the job is through the state of Michigan up here. Well, so let's so. kind of back up and and we've talked about some of the advantages of going the non-union route. Let's talk about some of the advantages of going the union route right off the bat. And so, uh, like Rick talked about, one of the big benefits is you start working towards you're vested in your pension within five years um, and and you have started working on that pension fund from day one of your apprenticeship. And so that is one of the huge benefits of going to the union is you're already working towards your retirement from day one. Another huge benefit is generally speaking, if you start in the apprenticeship side, uh, I want to say you start out making like 55 or 60% of what a journeyman does, which still ends up being like 17 or $18 an hour from the get go plus your benefits package. So that includes your training fund, that includes pension, that includes healthcare, I'm sorry, that doesn't include it. It's in addition to your $17 or $18 of take-home pay. So um, so you start off, absolutely, you start off at a higher wage uh, going the union route. And then through your apprenticeship, I think it's a four-year apprenticeship program, it steps up throughout the apprenticeship program to by year four. Within four years, you're making full journeyman pay, which I think here in Michigan, if you're paying right at scale, your take-home pay is like 36 or 37 an hour, and then you've got your benefits package on top of that. Yep. So that is another huge benefit of going in the union. The other advantage is the training center. So it's huge. Did you get to did you ever interact with the training center at all, Rick? I didn't. I uh I drove past it, I looked at it. I was never actually in it. I called up there to talk to them. But at that time they had so many people on the bench. They weren't taking any more people. So the only way to get in to the union at that time was to get through like a company and where they sponsor like Conley Crane here in Michigan. They don't pull from the union hall. They actually hire a candidate and then they sponsor him and put him into the union and they pay, you know, they pay their dues or however that works. And I think you could only sponsor like 
one or two people a year. Yeah. So they would rather pull a good candidate instead of the guy that was left over on the bench with the qualifications that doesn't have a job going into the season. So I never actually messed with them because at the time it was a dead end road at the time for me. So the union training center, I actually, I actually took a fair amount of classes and I will say out of all of the pro union things, uh, that is probably one of the top ones for me. Uh, so yeah, cause I could go in there over the winter when I was on a layoff, uh, you're sitting at home on unemployment. Generally, I could go into the training center. I could sign up for an OSHA 15, an OSHA 30 hour course. I could sign up for a mine safety course. Uh, all of those classes are totally free for me. In fact, you actually, it's not, it's nothing to write home about, but you actually get paid by the union to take those classes. So every day I was there, I was getting really? called. Yeah. It was like, I don't remember what it was, 150 bucks or something, um, a class. And I don't even remember if, now that I think about it, I don't even remember if that was per class or per day. It wasn't anything to write home about. It wasn't even touching, you know, what unemployment was, but at least you're getting paid to take those classes as opposed to the alternative. If you were at a non-union company, you're paying to take those classes. So um, all of those classes were totally free. Uh, If I wanted to go up to the training center and practice running a, a grader for a day, all I had to do is call up there and make sure no one had the blade booked. And then I would show, I would drive up in the parking lot, go into the training center and get the keys go out there and make sure it was fueled and greased. I go run the grader for a day. If one of the instructors was available and I needed some help or needed some questions answered, as long as they didn't have a class that they were in the middle of teaching, they'd come out there and help me, you know, with whatever I was struggling with. And then at the end of the day, I had to fuel the machine and put it back away. Didn't cost me a dime. That was totally 100% included with my union dues. Um, My CCO certification that I was shooting for. So right before I got out of the union and stopped operating full time, uh, I was working on my CCO, which for those of you who aren't in the dirt world or in the hoisting world, uh, that's your certified crane operator's license. And that is a pretty extensive program. It's a federal program. You are now federally required to have a CCO in order to sit in the seat of a crane or a boom truck. Um, and those classes were totally, again, totally covered. All I was going to have to pay to get my CCO which by the way, if you're thinking about getting into one of the trades and you're still not sure what you should do, or you might, you know, thinking about switching careers and you're not sure, go, go take a look at the hoisting side of the business. You will make crazy money. You will never, you're in this. They're dying. Oh, they're dying. They're pulling guys out of retirement right and left to, to sit in the seat of cranes right now. It's unreal. You could easily make uh, easily make six figures running a crane right now. So just yep. FYI, but all that to say, I was about to elevate my career and consistently make six figures. And it was going to cost me, I think, $150 to take the test. That's the only thing I was going to have to pay for. That's not like that's including all of the seat time they had. uh, I think the training center has two or three Broderson cranes, Broderson, Broderson. Uh, They've got two crawler cranes. They've got several off-road rough terrain cranes, and then they've got a, um, a truck crane and I could go up and they've got a crane simulator. All of those again, cool. works the exact same way as that grader. All I had to do is call up there and make sure no one had the crane booked. And there was an instructor available to kind of help me out. And then I could literally go up there and run the crane for the entire day. And all it cost me was the time to grease it. 
That's awesome. And so you don't really get that in the non-union no, side of uh, you know it's the sector. It, absolutely not. That's just it's unheard of on the on the non-union side. So all that to say, one of the biggest benefits, in my opinion, is the training center and those resources that are available to you that are not available outside the union. So there are definitely some big perks. Now, how long would it took you to get your CCO since you're on the topic? So if I would, if if I had really been hammering it um, and really been doing it full time, like going up there every day, I bet within probably two or three months, I would have been comfortable enough to uh, go take the CCO exam. So the way that works is you've got hoisting classes that you actually have to take. So there's rigging, there's advanced rigging. You actually have a crane course where you get into uh, all of the math and, and calculating angles and you know distances or radiuses and stuff to, so that you know how to set up your crane. Because that's the other thing I didn't really think about until I got into taking the classes is you have to plan your pick. Like before yeah, you're you the even man park the, the crane, you've got to figure out the distance to the pick, the distance to your landing area, and then you've got to be able to situate that crane in a way that you're going to be able to reach everything and stay within your load chart. And so before you even do the pick, you've already figured out where everything's going to be, done your math and figured out, okay, the crane's going here. And so um, all that to say, you go through your classes and then you actually start getting seat time in the cranes. Because of, uh, there's there's two portions of the CCO. There is the actual exam that you take, and then there is a practical examination, which is where you go out, you have a certified CCO instructor giving the exam, and uh, you go out in a crane. They have barrels, the 55-gallon barrels set up, and you have to you know take the crane, and you've got your... your uh, I can't even remember the name of the fucking Jim. ball, like the headache ball or whatever it's called. Your your weight yep. that sits on the end. You've got to drop your weight down into these barrels without knocking the barrels over. Uh, and awesome. they've got them at different. Uh, they've got them at different radiuses from the machine. They've got them, you know, at different heights. Uh, and there's a series of things that you have to do. Another one, they've got cones set up. The the tall traffic cones. Uh, they've got those set up, and you have to navigate the ball through the cones without touching a cone. So it's basically the practical exam is showing that you actually have mastery of the machine because one of the the hardest parts about running a crane has nothing to do with the actual hoisting and running the machine. It has to do with, think about uh, when you have a fishing pole with a hook and a bobber on the end. When you start to swing that fishing pole and then you stop, the hook and bobber start swinging back and forth. And likewise, it's not just swinging in one direction. It's not just left to right. You've also got some back and forth swing in there. That that's the exact same concept as what happens when you have a load on the end of a crane is you can't just stop moving in a crane because that's how you lose control of the load. And not only is it just dangerous because it's swinging, but anytime you have swinging happening on a crane, you're putting forces on that crane that it's not built to take. Cranes are right. built to take a load vertically. They're not, they're not made for horizontal loading. And so that's the biggest part of the practical is making sure that you can control a load with a crane in very tight, precise conditions. Uh, There's another portion of the practical that you're operating uh, solely off of hand signals. Um, So to kind of back up all of that to say to get my full on CCO to where I would feel comfortable going to an employer and saying, hey, I can run a crane. I would say probably six months realistically between the seat time and all of the exams and the classes, I would say easily six months before I would even feel comfortable 
getting in the seat of a crane and, and saying, yes, I'm comfortable to pick something. And that's that's just something that you're not going to get, that that kind of training and that skill set. Like, it, no one's going to let you run a couple hundred thousand dollar machine no. for free. And that's now, the beautiful thing about the union, too, is you can become an oiler, which is the apprenticeship on the hoisting side. You basically, you've got an operator that is responsible for running the crane. And as the oiler, you're responsible for maintaining the crane. So I'm talking everything, whether it is yeah. getting the operator something to drink when he's thirsty, to greasing all of the bearings, to uh, lubricating the cable to make sure that it's in working order. Like you are the maintenance aspect of the crane because that's how you learn the crane. And then and over honestly, time, it wouldn't be a wouldn't be a bad route to go. No, just because then when you get your seat time, you know all the maintenance and the routine that needs to be exactly. And that's the whole idea of. behind that apprenticeship, the oiler position, is you learn how to maintain that crane. And then over time, as you establish your relationship with your operator, uh, he begins to learn, you know, on some of the smaller picks that aren't super technical, he's going to give you the ability to get in the seat. And then on some of the bigger picks, as you get further down your apprenticeship, he's going to let you start to take over more and more and more so that you get more of that seat time. And, you know, whenever he's doing some super technical pick, you're on the cranes, you know, standing on the step right by him talking about what he's doing, watching how he's handling the load. He's walking you through, you know, how he's figuring everything out. So it's a really unique apprenticeship in all honesty. I, I kind of wish in a small way, because I'm, I'm very happy with my career path, but there is a small part of me that wishes I had gotten into hoisting from the get-go just because it is it is a whole different animal. It's a very unique industry, um, and the apprenticeship is a really cool process. You generally get really tight with your operator, um, it's just a cool deal all the way around. So, yeah, but it's just awesome that you get that kind of experience, you know, and all you got to do is basically make sure your membership's paid up, right? Yep. For the union, which and- that nine times out of 10 automatically comes out of your paycheck. You don't even realize it. It, you know, your right. working dues and your annual dues just come right out of your paycheck. You don't even notice. So, I mean, you could touch on that. The, the non-union, you don't have no working dues, but your time, sweat, equity, you put it in a job. Yeah, so right. um, how's it work with the union? So side? union, uh, I can't remember what the actual numbers are. I'm sure you know. Head over if you do know this, by the way, just so people have a reference. If you don't mind, go over to dieselandironproductions.com. Click on the podcast. You'll see this one listed. Just comment and let us know because I don't remember what the definitive numbers are. But you have two sets of dues. You have your annual dues. Uh, and that's going to be a relatively small number. Call it, I don't know, a couple hundred bucks a year or whatever. And that's kind of your fee for admission into the union. Um, and then the next set of dues that you have, and this is where the union really makes their money, is you have working dues. And that is a portion that is directly tied to the amount of money you make and the hours that you work. And it's just a a chunk of whatever. So call it, I don't know, 20% or 15%. I don't remember what the actual number is. It's probably smaller than that. But it is a percentage of what you bring home. The union, it's kind of a tax almost. And that's where the vast majority of your dues come from. Um, So to stay in the union isn't grossly expensive if you're not actively working. Um, It's it's just, you know, the working dues is really where they make their money. So, But on that note, let's kind of talk about there are some disadvantages to the union that I think just to be fair and give everyone a really honest opinion of of the union. Uh, First of all, I am very much pro-union. 
with some caveats. I think the the unions have really overstepped in the last decade or so, maybe even two decades, to where they're more concerned with themselves as the union than they are the union members. Um, but at the same time, I will not sit here and deny the benefits that the unions had on wages and and uh, the the benefits packages and stuff like that. So I am very much pro-union, even though I'm probably not going to sound like it for a minute. But <laughs> um, one of the big downsides to the union is it is very political. Uh, as Rick was has touched on multiple times here, if you're trying to get into the union apprenticeship and you don't know somebody, you're going to have one heck of a time. And that, especially in the labor market that we're having right now, really frustrates me because the union absolutely has the resources and has the ability to amp up and ramp up the the inflow of people. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's politics. I don't know. Uh, they just really aren't stepping that up. And they right now, have a couple guys on the hunt like we are. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they they That's should where I'm at really, really be ramping that whole program up. But unfortunately, it's it's I hear from guys on almost a daily basis that are just asking me, "Hey, is there any way to get in the union quicker? I've been on the wait list for like a year or two." Um, so chase an employer down. It, well, and that's that's my advice to everyone is try to get in with a union employer uh, that can help you get in that door. That's your best avenue. So, but that's one of the big things because even once you're in the apprenticeship, once you're in the union, the politics don't end. There's always these politics going on behind the scenes. Uh, one of the one of the the just kind of a, a little peek behind the curtain of what I do. Uh, I have reached out to the union numerous times uh, through through the diesel and iron avenue because of what I do. My whole goal is to get people into the industry. I don't give a fuck if you're union or not. I just want you to get into the industry uh, because we're hurting so bad. I have reached out multiple times to the union to see if they would be willing to sit down on camera and discuss kind of the process of getting into the apprenticeship and, you know, what that looks like and how to transfer between locals and stuff like that. And I will not get I cannot get one of those guys to call me back. And I am confident it's because I am not in the union. And to me, they don't want nothing to do with you. Exactly. It's and, and it's that way across the board uh, with the union. They will absolutely not interact with people that are not union. And I'm going, OK, to I understand. I understand to an extent the angle of, well, if you're not in the union, you're working outside of the union and therefore you're hindering the abilities of the union. I can kind of see that argument. But really, honestly, in this labor market, can you honestly tell me? You're going to stand in the way of getting people into the industry over whether or not they're in your club. That's the part that angers me. And so the politics never go away. Let me let me explain something to you, though. Oh, break it down for me, Rick. This is the way they (laughs) think, my man. This is why they don't want to talk to you. Right. If a road crew foreman calls into the shop, the foreman says, we have a problem. The boss says, what's wrong? Former says, we forgot our shovel. The boss. I'm sorry. His, I had reply, to. his boss. <laughs> the reply is from a union company. I'll be out there as quick as I can. Lean on each other until I get there. Yeah. Right. Come on, man. That was a joke. Oh, I'm that sorry. Was great. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was great. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be hilarious? <laughs> <laughs> that's my sound effect there, guys. Sorry. I was trying to hit the button. No, but that's it. I mean. You know, they had their go-to guys. Yeah. And the way they solve their the way they solve their problems is they open their book of contacts 
that they're allowed to in the book negotiate and talk to and that's how they saw the problems even though something like i just read you of getting a shovel you know a regular non-union guy we would just walk over the boss would tell us we'd walk over to home depot buy a shovel come back they give us the 15 dollars when we get back to the shop yeah non-union company you know they don't just quite do that through their protocol yeah you know what i mean you can't just walk over go buy a shovel and come back expect you to get the 15 dollars for the day right Right. So they got their own. Oh, I got I got to call Joe or Bob and Bob will bring the shovel out. Joe might bring this out and then you call. And I mean, there's bigger problems than that, but that's how it goes. So for someone like you to reach out, you're not in their book of contacts. So they're they're not even going to open anything that could expose any side of anything in their book to you. They don't want that out in the public because you're not in their little safety network. It, but it's, it goes beyond safety. It, it very much gets into this. You're either in the club or you're out of the club. And if you're out of the club, then fuck you. Uh, and right, that's, the, liable, that's the part that bothers start me. Their own, they're liable to start their own 324 Union Hall diesel and iron production union set. You know, well, union but style. I don't even know. I wouldn't go that far because, like, honestly, what resources do I have to go start a fucking comp- competing union? Like, at the end of the day, the union represents the trade, and you can't really start a competing union. It's more of uh, if you're not, I'm probably going to offend somebody, and I'm just going to pre apologize. But I mean, it's almost like if you don't pay the price of admission to have a conversation with us, uh, if you're not paying into our club, then get bent. And I'm sorry, but especially on a topic like this, where we're talking about uh, uh, the the hurt across the entire industry, if not the entire trades of needing people, and you're going to stand in the way because I'm not part of your little club. I'm sorry. That's, that's asinine to me. This is where we all need to come together and all need to recognize the problem and all work towards fixing that problem. Uh, it's right. bigger than a club. And so that's one of the the big drawbacks. And obviously on the union side, you know, even outside of the union, you're going to have some politics that play into people getting promoted within companies and everything. But it really starts to come out uh, when you're in these union companies. So is your your union card paid up? No, I I pulled out of the union when I quit operating full time. They basically put my card on hold. And so if I were to get back into the union, I would just have to call my BA up and say, hey, I need to pay. I think it's like 500 bucks or something to reactivate my card. Well, and just that's a good point that you just talked about. If you wanted to get back into the union and keep your uh, pension and everything going, all you had to do was call somebody up and the years credited, years served, all of a sudden it gets put back into effect or what? I... I, I can't remember if the pension because I was I was not vested in my pension. I was I was just short of being vested in my pension when I got out of mm. it. And that's part of the reason I I decided to go ahead and put my card on hold is because it didn't make sense for me to pay 200 bucks a year for the rest of my life when I wasn't really going to see any benefit to that. Um, right. And so I can't remember if the pension starts over or if you do get to pick up where you left off. I want to say you have to start over. Yeah, I think there can't be so many gaps. Like yeah, that, like, there's whatever. so much of a lapse. <clears throat> like um, you could only have like two or three years before it expires or something. I can't remember. I'd have to go look at all that. I, I, you know, it was one of those things where I did a lot of homework and did a lot of research before I made the decision to get out of the union. 
Um, yeah. But I, it's been it's been so long. I can't remember what all that all that information was. But talking about the pension brings me to my next big downside to the union, in my opinion. Um, oh no! The fact that your pension is one hundred percent out of your control really bothered me because, as has been proven time and time again through the automotive unions, through three twenty four. Uh, or I should Steel say the, I, unions. the IEOU or whatever it is. Um, when there is a giant cookie jar sitting out there and you have a couple of guys at the top who have access to the lid of the cookie jar, uh, people at the end of the day, I, I love you all. I really do. I love you all. But we're all selfish pieces of shit uh, at the end of the day when you're looking at that big old cookie jar. And over and over again, guys keep putting their hand in the cookie jar and you have embezzlement from the pension fund. And I'm sorry, but just because the guy goes to jail doesn't mean that all those cookies get back, you know, put back in the jar. Those cookies right. are, jo- are gone. And if I'm there sorry, but if I'm the one who spent my entire fucking career baking those cookies... I sure as hell better see a cookie on the back end of my career. <laughs> and, you know, we just we just went through with my wife's grandparents uh, in the last, you know, seven or eight years. Uh, we went through that whole debacle with the UAW and and them having yeah. to reduce the pension benefits yeah. and everything. And so that was one aspect of being in the union that really made me nervous. And that's another factor that played into me uh, deciding to pull all the way out of the union because I had a bunch of people go, you're such a fucking idiot. You got out. You you only had like another four or six months to be vested and everything. And I'm like, who the hell knows in, in the next 15 to 20 years, who the hell knows if I'm even going to get any of that because right. you have no control over it. And so that was one thing that I really, really wanted uh, some flexibility on is for me to be able to put my retirement into my own 401k. I don't want it in the pension fund. Yeah, I understand that there's a lot of benefits towards pooling money into these huge funds that can get that can then be invested together and and grow the pension fund. But the reality is that doesn't happen. That's not what happens with pension funds. What happens with well, pension funds out. is people dip into them to to you know like GM did. They dip into that pension fund to try to bail things out, and then they can't pay it back. And now all of a sudden, all the automotive workers get fucked. So that's why they're doing that two tier system all of a sudden trying to trying to make up on top of their wages to yeah. skim off the new guys that are getting into the trades and, you know, into automotive field. Yeah. So so that is one of, you know, while it is a huge advantage that you start working on your retirement from the day one of your apprenticeship, that's a huge advantage. One of the disadvantages of the union is you have no control over those funds. And so if some jackass at the top decides to dip his hand into the jar and he fucks up the pension plan, guess what? You have no recourse. You have nothing you can do about it. Your retirement funds are just gone or they're, they've been cut in half or whatever ultimately ends up happening. I think I want to say my wife's grandparents saw like a 40 or 50% drop in their in their pension fund. At least they at least they seen it and they still had something. Do you remember the two mill over in South Line? Yep. Okay, so they used to be union. They still are union. Um, I remember some of our friends of the family, you know, they worked there and those guys worked seven days a week oh, their yeah. whole life. They, you you and you it was spent twelve hours a day. Mill. You know, and that that's how they supported their family and the wives didn't work and they took care of the kids and stuff, but I can remember this old man that 
um, was renting the one property from us back in the day. And the reason he was renting it is because he lost his house, right? And after 32 years there and he was retired, all of a sudden, like, because everybody back then clung to those kind of jobs, you had a whole company on retirement. Yeah. Right? So these guys were <clears throat> mid-60s and you got a few hundred people sucking X amount of money a month out. Well, that company ended up going bankrupt and opened up as a different company entity, staying union, just restarting the calendar, and it cut off all those old-timers' payroll. Yep. So those guys that were counting on it, not doing their due diligence and taking care of all their money, just counting on what you're talking about, the cookie jar being there nonstop, and it only takes one reset, and it's gone. Poof. Yeah. Right? And, and it doesn't even a take a full reset. It literally takes some guy embezzling, you know, a couple hundred million out of there or 50 million or 10 yeah. million, whatever it is that impacts everybody's pension fund. Exactly. So, I mean, that's it though, man. I, I think you just got, you got to be smart with your money. You got to kind of get into some of your own investments and stuff too. And you got to watch what you're voting for, who you're nominating when you are in a union versus like the non-union, what you make is whatever you get to do with. Yep. Right. So, yep. I mean, there's such huge benefits and I don't, I wouldn't be scared to ever get in a union job at all. Yeah. You know, especially in today's market, man, I, I think, I just think these people right now, they're at such a great time to get in and there's so much stuff to be offered that God, if you want a job and you got a pulse like union or non-union, I mean, they're within dollars of each other. You know, yeah. the pizza guy, dude, the pizza company, they were paying 17 to $20 an hour to deliver pizza the other day. I seen no shit. Yep. I'm about to start delivering pizzas. Hey, there you go. <laughs> well, the- let's, so we're right at an hour. Why don't we, why don't we just call it, yeah. you know, super like take all the factors out of it and just call it like it is, Rick. Would you say you would recommend a new guy getting in the industry, union, non-union? I would go union a hundred percent. So my personal opinion if you're just getting into the industry go work at a non-union company for a year and a half two years somewhere in there and then go union and we'll call it there i'd go union i'd go union rick is full union he's going he's committing get those retirement years in and get out early enjoy your life you (laughs) suck of a bitch well i think we can call it there well thanks for listening as always guys and we'll catch you guys on the next episode of sweat and grime see you guys